Happy Easter. I'm Nathan, and if this is your first time checking out Parkview, uh, welcome to our church where, regardless of your past or your story, you can take a step toward God. In other words, whether you feel like you have this faith stuff figured out or you're brand new to this church thing, you belong here, and we want to help you figure out what your next step might be. For some of you, you might get to the end of the service and think, well, that wasn't too bad. Um, I'd love to learn more about Parkview and what they're all about. And if that's you, a great next step is to watch a closer look at Parkview. It's an opportunity to hear from our lead pastor, Tim Harlow, and executive pastor, Bill Brown, as they walk through the history of our church and talk about the exciting things we believe God has in store for us. To find it, just visit parkviewchurch.com slash closer look. This weekend, we celebrate the hope we have in Jesus, both now and for eternity. And if you're someone who financially supports the ministry of Parkview, thank you for helping us share that hope with thousands of people each and every week. It couldn't happen without you. We believe that living generously is the best way to live. So if you'd like to start supporting the mission, you can do that and find more information at parkbychurch.com slash give. Thanks again for being here. Enjoy the service. Following the death and resurrection of Jesus, a small group of faithful followers gathered together to lay their plans for the future and present them to the Messiah. Luckily for us, the cameras were rolling. So we all know the master's last words to us. Take this message to the ends of the earth. Well, uh, I say we start with the Greeks. Oh, I like their yogurt. Ooh, ooh, and their big fat weddings. Oh, I love their euros. Ooh. Well, my cousin knows John Samos. Wait, where is it? Gyros. Did you know Jennifer Aniston is Greek? She's Greek? Yes. Who's John Stamos? Do you know Kelly Savalas? He's Greek too, isn't he? I don't know guy? any of these people. George Stephanopoulos! Okay, 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 okay. So what are we suggesting? I think we need to celebrate. Yeah. We have some good news and speak in the Hebrew, but now we must reach, must reach the others who speak Greek, but we are two seas apart, whoa, 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 whoa. we must reach our hearts with sweet Say what? The Pharisees on our case. Tell me why he has to go to heaven. Tell me why now we're just the eleven. Tell me why we can't keep walking on legs. We want it that way. Now I can see that we've fallen apart. From the way that it used to be Yeah You died and you rose And you gave us some goals What does it all even mean? He is Messiah Our one provider But now
Praise be to God, how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our savior, Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Parkview. Today we come to celebrate that the Son of God came and died for our sins. But thank God that's not the end of the story, church. He rose again three days later and He is alive. Won't you worship with us? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Yes, he is. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love.
Yes, I sing for all that you've done for me.
Happy Easter, everybody. Good to have you here. Welcome online. Good to have you with us. Oh, man, it feels good. I mean, it's great to have you at New Lenox and at Orland Park and uh, at Homer Glen. And let's just say it's good to have people back in the building this Easter, isn't it? Thank you, God. Last year was great getting to reach so many people online, and we love that you're there. And hey, I didn't mind preaching only once last year, but it's good to be back in here. It really is. So, so many people miss the importance of Easter. Maybe somebody just drug you along, and, and you're like, I, I don't even know, you know, what's the big deal about Easter? Several years ago, my friend Brian got me some Bulls tickets, and um, I took my daughter, and it was at the end of the season, and the Bulls were, this will tell you how long ago it was, the Bulls were in a playoff hunt. And, and it's always just fun. If you haven't ever been to a Bulls game, there's all that extra stuff that's going on. You know, McDonald's gives free hamburgers if they score 100, and the Dunkin' Donuts race, and T-shirt guns, and, you know, Benny the Bull, and all that stuff. So we're sitting by this guy and his seven-year-old son, Parker. And Parker was loving it. He was soaking it in. But his perspective was different. You know what I'm saying? And the Bulls made a big surge. They went on a 10-2 run in the fourth quarter, and we're all on our feet cheering because, like, there's a playoff possibility going on. And, and I looked at the tickets, and they're $135 face value tickets, right? And Parker excitedly, seven-year-old Parker excitedly looked over at his dad and said, Dad, four more baskets and we get a free Big Mac. I'm kind of afraid that's what the way a lot of people approach Easter, if you don't really understand it. You know, I'm excited about the ham for lunch or the candy or the baskets or March Madness or whatever, but missing the point. You know what I mean? Paul said, this is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. First importance. We've been doing famous last words around here at Parkview, uh, talking about the things Jesus said from the cross. And today, just before Jesus breathed his last and told God he was, he was coming home, there was one more thing he wanted us to hear, and, and this is it. Jesus finished. Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. All is completed. The word was tetelestai in the Greek, common word. It meant done, check the box, paid in full, it's over, okay? And that was the goal of Jesus' life, was to finish. As a matter of fact, he said early on, my job, my goal, I must finish the work that God gave me to do. And three years later, just before the cross, Jesus said, okay, I'm, uh, his last prayer in John 17, he said, I glorified you on earth, Father, by finishing the work you gave me to do. So this whole thing about finishing is really that important. I've got to finish it, and I have finished it. And he gets to the cross, and he says, it is finished. So your question ought to be, if you don't know, what? What, what is finished? And to get to any, you know, good book or movie, you've got to understand the plot, right? And some stories and movies don't really have any, like Wonder Woman 84. What the what was that? And some plots are then really deep, right? You know, like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Happy Gilmore. I mean, it's hard to stay with it, right? 
So let me give you, okay, the plot for the Bible. I'm going to make this really simple for you. Last week, I gave a really simple sermon for you to know if you're going to heaven. And if you haven't watched it or listened to it, and you want to know how you know you're going to heaven, you should go back and, and, and check it out. And I got a really good reaction from a lot of people because I realized that we need to get back to the basics sometimes. So here's the plot of the Bible in three easy lines, okay? Kids, don't try this at home. I am a professional. Here we go. Event number one, God wanted a relationship with people like us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible starts, okay? With a God who is always there and always has been, and I can't explain it, and if I could, he wouldn't be much of a God, so let that go. He creates the world, and the main purpose of creation was us, was people like you and me. And we know this because when we get a few verses later, it says that man was made in his image. We were the only thing that was made in his image. And that's why all of the racism and the sexism and the hatred in the world is so heartbreaking to God. Because every human is made in the image of God. Imago Dei. So God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living being. Literally, God took his breath, his spirit, and breathed it into us. And because they, we, were the purpose of creation. And it's because God wanted a relationship with people like us, like me. And the original garden, in case you don't know this story, was perfect. They lived in harmony with God and with each other. There was no sin. There were no problems. There were no disagreements. Sox fans, Cub fans, living in harmony. But they didn't just lay around in hammocks drinking White Claws all day. They had a purpose. Listen to this. Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You are the masters of the fish and the birds and all the animals. What do you have there? You have hard work, fishing, hunting, and procreation. And they were naked. Boys and girls, this is a perfect country song, isn't it? Somebody call Luke Bryan right now. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. And originally, the relationship was also perfect. They lived in perfect harmony with one another. There was no March Madness. There were no ex-girlfriends. It was just a 24-7 Hallmark Christmas movie without the really dumb beginning of the plot where they hate each other first, and we all know it, okay? There was nothing wrong there, and their relationships were perfect because there was no hell in the relationship. There was no sickness, no pain, no death, no tears, because there was no hell on the earth. But God created us to have a relationship with him, and he didn't just want us to be his pets, okay? He wasn't going to put shock collars on us and put a wire around the garden and say, okay, you can only go this far. I bring that up because I read this great story this week. It doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but a guy that went to the ER with burns on his neck from a shock collar. He was from Kentucky. That's important. <laughs> so, so the story is, he bought one of those shock collars for his dog, and he wanted to see how it worked, and he lived on hilly property, so he decided he'd put it on himself, and he got in his truck, <clears throat> and he told his wife, I'm <clears throat> going to drive up over the hill, and the road up over the hill, and then I'm going to honk, and I want you to hit the button. And uh, Did I mention he was from Kentucky? So, so he gets over the hill and he honks, but he's still driving and it worked. 
a little better than he thought it would. And it really shocked him, and he started swerving. And there were cars coming the other way, and they saw him. And what do you think they did? They honked. And they kept honking, and she kept zapping. God created us as children, not pets. No shock collars for us. So there has to be a choice for there to be a relationship. And God said to Adam and Eve, this is the deal. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but one. You must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So you can choose to stay in relationship with me by obeying, or you can choose not to and die. Event number one, God wanted a relationship with us, okay? Event number two, people like us broke the relationship. Again, if you don't know the story, they ate the fruit. They sinned. They disobeyed. They opened Pandora's box, and the relationship was broken, and death came, and hell came to earth. And the real tragedy is that from this point on in the Bible, Adam and Eve and all the rest of the people could no longer enjoy the same relationship with God because hell had entered our world. And they had to be removed from the garden and a perfect relationship with God. And there were cherubim, these special angels called cherubim that were the guards that kept them from coming back in because if they came back in, they would die. Because Isaiah the prophet said, your sins have separated you from God. So here's event number three that completes the rest of the plot of the Bible. God moved to restore the relationship. God made us because he wanted to have a relationship. We broke the relationship, and he moved to restore the relationship. You see, this wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a surprise to God that we were going to choose to disobey him and bring hell into the earth. Even before he knew what was going to happen, he knew what was going to happen. Because that's how much he loves us. He came up with another plan so that this whole thing would still work. And in Genesis 3.15, we're just out of the first two chapters of Genesis, Adam and, after Adam and Eve sinned, almost immediately, Satan, the serpent, is there. And God says to Satan, he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, ladies, this is why you hate snakes, and between your offspring and her offspring. Here's the part, okay? He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, if you're reading along and you don't know the plot of the Bible, you're like, well, that's really weird. I mean, he's talking to a snake and there's heels and heads. No, no, no. This is the prophetic reference to Jesus. This is the very first prophetic reference to Jesus, and it's in Genesis 3. It's at the very, very beginning. What he's saying is, my son is going to crush you. You may have won the battle. You will bruise his heel, which is a reference to the cross. Right? He's going to be up on the cross with his with his heels, his feet nailed to the cross, but you will not win the war. He will crush you. In other words, we're not finished. Genesis 3.15. In other words, God still wants me back in Eden. So if somebody comes up to you someday and says, hey, what's the plot of the Bible? What's the Bible all about? The simplest way to describe it is it's about how God worked it out so that I could be back in Eden. I could be back and perfect, and hell would be gone. 
The entrance requirements into the new Eden are still the same as the old Eden, so you still have to be perfect. So, so God had to do something to allow that to happen in our lives. God can't allow sin into this place because it's going to be perfect forever. The Bible says nothing impure will ever enter it. That's what heaven's going to be like. I don't want your junk messing up heaven, and you don't want my junk messing up heaven. And this is why we're going to start next week. Pastor Todd's going to start next week with a new series called When We Get Hell Out of Here. We're going to talk about what it's going to be like when the new heaven and the new earth come. What it's going to be like after you die. What it's going to be like when there is no more hell around. So fast forward, if you will, in the Bible, we get to Abraham, and God says, I'm going to save the whole world through this one family and one nation, but eventually the nation is enslaved, and Moses brings them out of Egypt. That's the Exodus, and God then sets up a system of law and order so people can follow him, and he can be as close to them as possible, and he says, hey, I still want to live close to you, and since the people were all living in tents at the time, he said, make me a tent. They called it the tabernacle, and in the tabernacle, I want you to put this holy of holies place. It'll be this perfect square and surround it with curtains and, and build a box. And inside the box, you're going to have a, a bunch of stuff that's really important, the Ten Commandments and, and some holy bread and, and the rod of Aaron. Those are going to be in there. But on top, I want you to make these cherubim. The same angels, like a specific kind of angel, are on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The same angels that were guard, guarding Eden, don't you see, they're now guarding this holy place, this little piece of Eden that's in this tent that's traveling around with the children of Israel to protect the presence of God. Because you can't come into Eden or you'll die. You can't come into the Holy of Holies because you'll die, you're contaminated. But God wanted to be as close as possible because God wants me back in Eden. Fast forward, Solomon builds a temple in Jerusalem, God gets out of the tent and into a permanent dwelling, and he's still close, but it's no Eden. Eden is still this little holy place in the middle of the temple, and only the high priest can go in, and only once a year. <clears throat> and after God moves into the temple, things went even more downhill, okay, for the children of Israel. The family divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. This is where the whole Sox-Cubs thing originally started, was over back in Israel. And the kings of the two nations were really usually pretty wicked, especially the Northsiders. And the people just turned to idols and other gods, and God left them in captivity but all throughout this time, there would be these people named prophets, called prophets, and they would say, hey, someday, someday, the Messiah is going to come. The restorer of Eden is going to come. He's going to come, and he's going to crush Satan, and he's going to fix everything, and he's going to get hell out of here. And then, when all hope seemed lost, a few miles away from the temple and the city of David, a Savior was born. And he grew up and he started proclaiming God's kingdom and he attracted followers with his profound teaching and his amazing miracles that the religious leaders were threatened and they influenced the Roman authorities to crucify Jesus. Does that make any sense? Not if you don't understand the plot, but now you do because God wants me back in Eden. And the truth is what we've all sinned and because of sin... Somebody has to pay the price. Justice needs to be served. The wages of sin is death. It's just the way it is. And I know you're probably a good person listening to me today, wherever you are. You're probably a good person. I'm a good person. I've never been convicted of a felony. 
And I always thought that was good until I got the jury duty form from Will County. And for the first time, I kind of wished I could check yes on that question. Have you ever been arrested for a felony? I know it's my civic duty. I'm just saying I didn't want to do it. I'm not a convicted felon, but I am a sinner. I haven't committed adultery, but Jesus said, if you lust, you're doing the same thing. I haven't committed murder. Okay, good. We're checking things off for PT. But Jesus said, if you call someone a fool, you are just the same. You see, the truth is there's actually no way to be good enough to get back into the garden. Paul said in Romans, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Like no one, there's no way it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, the only reason he gave us the law was that we would be conscious of sin, that we would know what sin was like. Ten Commandments, the law, all of that, they weren't given to make us moral. They were given to show us how immoral, amoral we are. They were given to make us aware that we are sinful and we need forgiveness. So I can look in the mirror every day and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not, and some people don't. <laughs> Am I good enough? Define good compared to Hitler or Jesus. Climax of the story. When you, I, were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. This explains Good Friday. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So full circle, what does Tetelestai mean? What is finished? The law is finished. Judgment is finished. The curse is finished. Paid in full. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was about me. And it was about you. And as soon as Jesus died, one of the crazy things that happened was that in the temple, in that place, the Holy of Holies, there was a big curtain that separated it from everybody else because you couldn't go in there. And when Jesus died, the, the veil was split from top to bottom. The Bible tells us the curtain that separated Eden from us was ripped from top to bottom. And therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, Eden, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Do you have Assurance? Jesus told the criminal on the cross, Today I assure you, you will be with me in paradise. The God of the universe has provided a way for you to be brought back to Him. That's how much He cares. You matter that much to God. God brought you back to Eden. Think about that. If anyone, the Bible says, who believes in Christ is a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. This is why Easter is important. It is all from God. He brought us back to himself through Christ's death on the cross. God wants a relationship with you. We broke it. And in Christ, he brought you back. But of course, it's not the end of the story because Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And he rose three days later. 
Those it is finished words are the most important words in history. Nothing will ever be more important in your life than those three words. But it didn't stop there. Here it is in a nutshell, the message version says. Just as one person did wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, that would have been Adam. Another person did it right and got us out of it. That would have been Jesus. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. See, it's not just that someday we get to go be in Eden. It's that we can have life now and have it to the full. And the rest of the Bible is that Jesus rose from the dead, which proves that he really had the power and we really have hope and that death is not the end. Jesus told his friends at the death of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will really never die. We're going to die physically, but not spiritually. Our soul will live on forever. Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins and allows us to be in Eden again. But Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that we can have Eden in our hearts today. It's a garden. Why a garden? Why, why didn't God start things up in a forest or on a beach or in the mountains or Wrigley Field, right? Instead, it's a garden. Why a garden? What's the difference between a garden and a forest? Uh, well, I think the difference is a garden is planted with purpose, okay? Just like this place, someone had to sit down and plan it out for a reason. If there's a garden, there must be a gardener, if you will. When someone was honored in ancient times, they were given the privilege of enjoying the king's garden. King's garden would have been a place that everybody knew. It was, it was a sign of wealth. And over time, this word paradise came to be used for the Garden of Eden by the Jewish people. Eden was, after all, the king's garden. It was the garden of God. So Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden of God because they disobeyed God and human beings were forbidden from ever entering that garden again. Paradise was lost to humankind until Jesus finished the process of making us whole again and paid for us to be free from our imperfections. And that's why Jesus could promise the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, like this, like literally from the same root word as Eden. Today you will be with me in Eden restored. Which is why when we get to the end of the Bible, it looks a lot like the beginning of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever put that together or not, but we're back in Eden. If you look at the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible, they look very much the same. Can you see that? I mean, how incredible is it that God's intention for humanity was to exist in a garden, and of course, we left it, but we will be back again. And obviously, the, the real honor of being in the king's garden for anybody back in that day wasn't about being in the garden. It was about the honor and the pleasure of getting to be with the king. So when Adam and Eve left the garden, the greatest loss wasn't the beauty of the garden, wasn't the waterfalls and the pretty flowers. It was communion. It was connection with God. Adam and Eve didn't grasp that at the time, and a lot of times we don't either. But that's okay. 
Easter is here. Here's Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and no longer will there be any curse. Perhaps the most important little phrase in there is no more curse. The river's flowing, the curse of sin is gone. All that Adam and Eve and Satan had released into the world, all that Pandora's box that they brought into the world is supernaturally closed back up and thrown into the lake of fire. And the curse of sin is vanquished. It is finished. To Telestai, he is not here, he is risen. And here's the important part. God himself will be with them and will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. And I gotta tell you, on the way to this video shoot, now I'm in Joliet, by the way, I don't think it's the original Garden of Eden, but you know, we can go for it. Uh, the team was told me to wait just a little bit because they weren't quite ready. I was driving down Schoolhouse Road in Mokina and there was road construction, so I decided to go down Front Street and as I went down Front Street, I just happened to see my friend Jim get out of his car. Jim, who lost his wife during COVID, his wife of 62 years. And I got to just pull over and stop and give him a, a hug and be reminded of how important it is that we get back to the garden that no longer will there be any death or mourning or crying or pain. Because that's what a lot of you have been through in this last year. Let's just be honest. And so has my family. My wife lost her dad in December. She lost her mom a year and a half ago. I mean, this is, this is the reality, but we know we're going to see them again. And not only will we see them again, they're already here. Today you will be with me in paradise. God has us back in the Garden of Eden forever, and we won't be pets because we choose whether we want to go or not. And that's the plot of the Bible. And the whole Garden of Eden thing is so fascinating to me when we look at the Easter story. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. What? Did you miss this before? There was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. They laid him where? In a garden. Easter happened in a garden. Do you get that? For a garden and in a garden. And in John's version, Mary is there and she sees the angels and she doesn't realize what's going on. And the angels ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she finally recognized who it was. But at first she thought he was the gardener. All I'm saying is, maybe he was. 
In just a few minutes, we're going to do communion together. I just want to tell you that um, you don't have to be from our church. If you believe in Jesus, even if this is your way of, of claiming and accepting Jesus, we invite you to join with us. Uh, unfortunately, you need a graduate degree or a pocket knife to get the bread out. Um, yeah, this is like real DIY. There's, there's YouTube videos about how to get the top off. So just start messing with it now and maybe you'll be ready in a, in a couple of moments when we do this. Here, here's why this is important. Now, see, I got mine all over myself already. This is, this is, I can't wait for this to be over. Here's why this is important. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus agonized. He said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. This cup. If there was another way, Jesus would have found it. He had a lot of motivation to get out of the cross. But he couldn't find another way because there wasn't another way. If people could be saved by living a good life, Jesus would have never had to take the cup. He never would have had to die. But there is no other way. It is finished, depended on the cup. And it does for you too. D.L. Moody, famous pastor from the previous generation, had a man come up to him one day, frantic, and just said, I just want to know, what do I need to do? And Moody said, well, what do you mean? And the man said, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And Moody said, oh, I'm sorry, you're too late. man said, are you kidding me? Moody said, no, I'm sorry, you're too late. man said, what do you mean it's too late? What do I need to do? Moody said, you're too late. It was all done 2,000 years ago. You just need to accept it. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Paul said, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That's way more important than getting free Big Macs. That's why Easter is so important. Jesus stands between the Eden at the beginning of the Bible and the Eden at the end of the Bible, and he's building a bridge for all of us to make our way back there with him. All you have to do is decide. Nobody's going to force you. Nobody's going to put a collar on your neck and force you to go be with God forever. And we talked about this last week. If you want to know the, the, the cue card, this is from the thief on the, on the cross. Do you know you're going to die and see God afterwards? The thief on the cross did. Do you see your need? He did. He said, he reached out to Jesus and said, hey, remember me when I go into heaven, when you go into paradise. And who do you say Jesus is? He knew that Jesus was God. He didn't know very much about Jesus, but he believed that Jesus was God and that Jesus could save him. And have you accepted his grace? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today I, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Is that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. And you can do it right now. I'm going to pray and you can do it right now. We've got a text number. <clears throat> if, you've got, if you want to have some help in your journey along the way, I really want to encourage you. Text GARDEN to 65649, and somebody will get in touch with you. We obviously can't pray with you during COVID and do the things that we'd like to do, but we want to follow up with you for anything. But especially if the light bulb is going on for you today, and you realize that you want to get hell out also. Let's pray together.
Father, as we get ready just to spend a moment thinking about this and as we get ready for communion, let that be a time for us as we take the the bread and the juice that represent the body and the blood, that, that we understand that it was all done for us. That, 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 that God, you couldn't take the cup away from Jesus because it was the only way that my sin could be paid for. So when I eat and when I drink, I'm proclaiming it is finished in my own heart and in my own soul. Lord, if there are people here who have never done that, just help them understand there's not magic words. The thief just said, remember me. Jesus, I need you. I accept the gift of grace. Easter will never be the same for me. Lord, thank you for what you've done. It's in your name that we pray. Joy, I lift my voice in everlasting praise. 
Listen, if you decided today to accept Jesus' grace, congratulations, that is awesome. Don't forget to text the word GARDEN to 65649. That's GARDEN to 65649. Our team wants to help you continue to take steps toward becoming the person God created you to be. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his eyes toward you and give you his peace. See you next time when we start our brand new teaching series called Get Hell Out of Here. You don't want to miss it. Have a great day.